And welcome to the Farm Lab Forum, version three, August 21st. We're happy to have a lot of great panels here today. I'm your host, Dalton O'Neill. We're welcomed uh, with members of the Farm Lab, some great farmers, great attorneys, and a special guest from the United States Hemp Brokerage later. So uh, this should be a, a jam-packed informational, uh, educational experience. And we really hope everybody from the Texas hemp industry or the hemp industry abroad gets some value out of that. Uh, our first guest today is Paul Stevenson. He's an associate attorney at Ritter Spencer. If you are paying attention to the Texas hemp climate, what's legal, what's not, especially when paying attention for a while, you know that a huge lawsuit was filed and they're trying to ban smokable hemp in Texas. There's a lot of manufacturing questions. There's a lot of questions in general. Uh, so we'll get to that. But first, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the hemp industry? Sure. Uh, good to see you, Dalton. It's been a while. I'm used to seeing you at various conventions and expos, so at least we're able to do this. It's nice to see you, man. Um, but uh, like you said, uh, my name is Paul Stevenson. I'm an associate attorney at Ritter Spencer PLLC, and um, I primarily practice in the hemp CBD uh, field, but I do various work in business law and I do some work with bankruptcy matters as well. Um, and as many people in the industry know, my boss is Chelsea Spencer, who represents all things hemp. The fearless CBD lady, dubbed by Forbes, right? Yeah. We, go, we can say yeah. that. <laughs> well, uh, so what got you into hemp? You know, how, how'd, you, how'd you get here? Right, so... Um, Took a took an interesting route. Just uh, I went to the University of Texas at Austin for undergrad, and then blasphemous to many, I went to uh, the University of Oklahoma for law school. Uh, went north of the river, but I'm back now. Um, and shortly after the bar exam, I um, got affiliated with Ritter Spencer, and it was really uh, due to interest and the medicinal benefits of the hemp plant and also just sheer and utter faith that this market is going to take off and going to be booming. And I want it to be on the forefront of that. Man, it's cool. I think you came in at the right time. We, uh, I mean, it's always cool to see firms expand and, and just, I mean, a lot of different information, different points of contact. So, you know, in layman's terms, I mean, we could get into a little bit more technical but what's going on with this lawsuit? Why is it such a big deal? Why is it historic? You know, what's, what's kind of happening? Then we'll, we'll dig more into the, the technicalities of it. But what's, what's happening uh, up to speed? Right. So um, as of right now, uh, yeah, the plaintiffs are um, Crown Distributing and America Juice Code. And those two are our clients. It's a manufacturer and a retailer, respectively. Uh, and Custom Botanical Dispensary LLC and 1937 Apothecary LLC. And the defendants are the Texas Department of State Health Services, DSHS, and John Hellerstedt, the um, commissioner of the Texas Department of State Health Services. Um, so we filed our lawsuit on August 5th against the state of Texas and uh, DSHS regarding the statutory ban, um, which deals with the manufacturing and the processing of smokable hemp products. And that mm. was signed into law by Governor Abbott um, as House Bill 1325 back in June of 2019. And 
The lawsuit is also in regards to the, regula the regulatory ban um, on retail and distribution sales of smokable hemp products. And that was adopted by DSHS on August 2nd, 2020. Um, and I can give kind of a breakdown of the claims. Real yeah, quick. I mean, well, well, one, just from a, you know, an entrepreneurial perspective, people say smokable hemp, you see on Facebook, people are changing their, you know, CBD, we sell CBD flower tea now, and you don't have to smoke it, but do what you want to with it. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff. Um, right. You know, not only does it affect the market, you know, we need everybody to win here. But can you kind of explain you know, maybe you don't have the statistics, but what does smokable hemp mean to the market and making this whole thing work in general? You know, why is, why is it important that we win here? Right. I mean, for the state of Texas in general, I mean, it's such a revenue pull and um, smokable hemp products comprise of such a, an enormous part of the market. Um, so when you, when this uh, rule went into effect, right when it did, I mean, it impacted so many businesses throughout Texas just immediately. And for a lot of these uh, retailers and companies that rely so much on uh, the revenue and profits from uh, smokeable hemp sales, they were immediately impacted and might not ever recover, might completely go under and, um, or might just be breaking even. And these people are trying to pay their bills, trying to support their families. So this is impacting not only businesses, but families. Yeah, it's, it's really troubling in general. I mean, other than the smokable hemp situation, which obviously I know we got the TRO extended. I mean, so we're good. How, how businesses, retail businesses right now today, how much longer are they covered by this TRO? Right. So, and so the temporary restraining order um, on August 19th, I don't know if um, some people were able to uh, watch that, but we successfully obtained the TRO and that enjoins the Texas Department of State Health Services um, from enforcing the bans prohibiting the manufacturing, processing, distributing, and retail sale of smokable hemp products. Okay. And uh, so Judge Livingston signed the order on August 20th. And um, so we have it puts things back as they were prior to August 2nd. Um, and that will be until our hearing on our request for a temporary injunctive relief, which will be September 2nd, 2020. Okay, that makes sense. Other than the smokable hemp ban and the manufacturing issues, what other issues do you see coming down the pipe for you know other industry players? Um, I think one interesting thing to keep an eye on um, will be an aspect of testing. Um, DSHS currently requires kind of above and beyond certain requirements of other states. Um, for, and by that, I mean DSHS requires testing for harmful microorganisms and pathogens. Okay. Um, and those are defined as a microorganism of public health significance, including molds, yeast, listeria, salmonella, E. coli, and various other pathogens that I won't attempt to pronounce. But the reason why this is um, important is just because it's so cost prohibitive um, on manufacturers. And so it's extremely expensive to test. Um, and also, I mean, 
various food manufacturers don't even have to abide by these mm. strict of I see. standards. So it's kind, of it's kind of complicated. I was talking with Greg a little bit before this. Maybe you could chime in here, Greg, about the different situations with different states and what we need to look for. You know, the biggest fear I've kind of got right now is you tell farmers test for these three things or test for these five things. They do it. And then at the end, they get told you need to do more. Uh, is that what you're kind of talking about? Or could, could Greg and Paul kind of speak on that? Yeah, before? I mean... I saw the rules and regulations, Paul, that just came out, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, and I read through them, and I, it was very vague. It did not specify what specific pesticides or what the action limits were. I don't know where you saw specifics on microbial. I was thinking maybe it was buried in the HB House bill or the SB Senate bill um, that it refers to, but um, I guess that's we get we got a lot of calls from manufacturers trying to make sure that they're compliant and um you know they they want to know which pesticides are they screening for what solvents you know what heavy metals what are the action limits how many parts per million am i allowed to have and we just don't have those answers right now so um it'd be nice to get some clarification you know from the uh Department of Health Services. Right, and I think that's important, um, and hopefully clarification will come soon, um, but I, there is um, a table, and so there's a blog that we wrote about it um, on the Ritter Spencer website, and we go through and um, show, show this part, but there's a table included in the DSHS rules. Um, I can't remember the exact specific rule number, but the table itself shows what DSHS could be testing for. And it goes through a list in certain quantity amounts mm -hmm. and um, some of the pesticides or uh, solvents that they might test for specifically. Um, but that seems like it's still in the works. So I think we're, we are just waiting on some more clarification from my understanding. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, we've seen <clears throat> regulations roll out in many states and, um, it does seem that they will follow kind of the Oregon, Washington, California standard, I, I guess I would say, of uh, pesticide lists, you know, heavy metals. So if I were to look in a crystal ball, I'd assume that they'd probably jump on to the similar regulations. Same that we're seeing in back east and Oklahoma and, you know, everywhere else surrounding Texas, pretty right. much Colorado. Yeah. I mean, I'm just happy to have uh, good legal minds helping decipher this. I mean, literally the best thing we have is to go look at a blog post, you know, or listen to the Hemp and Ain't Easy podcast and figure it out. You know, I mean, that's really, that's really a thing, but I appreciate that insight. You know, speaking of the Hemp and Ain't Easy podcast, Paul, what's your experience been at Ritter Spencer? You know, a lot of people hear about Ritter Spencer and people are, you know, oh, we got to listen to them. What's your experience been so far at the firm? Uh, I mean, to put it extremely concisely, I'm, I'm spoiled. Um, and I mean that in the sense of I'm surrounded by the best legal minds. Um, Chelsea Spencer and David Ritter are absolutely brilliant. They're incredible bosses. They're tirelessly working for the clients. And um, as our listeners out there have heard, uh, Chelsea Spencer speak at various conferences or whatever the case may be, certain forums such as this. Um, she has all the insight that anyone could possibly have um, yeah. in the CBD, hemp, medical marijuana, cannabis worlds. So if you have any questions, feel free. Yeah. 
I know, I, I know y'all work tirelessly over there. You know, it's crazy. You know, it's, uh, and it's, and it's awesome because we have to keep up with these things. It's just, I mean, it changes so much. We were just talking about the testing and different things. And I mean, I just hope we get some clarity here because I don't want to see people get, you know, hurt, you know, uh, by these things. I mean, thinking, working so hard to be compliant and then getting hit with it later. Uh, so kind of, you know, wrapping it up here with a few more questions. What advice would you have for farmers, you know, other than to get legal counsel? That's always important, I know. But what yeah. advice would you have for farmers? You know, we're, we're talking about testing. We're talking about things. You know, what, what do you think they really need to be looking out for right now? I know you said don't seek or like don't <laughs> have seek legal counsel. But I mean, it's to me, it's just so important to, and they, they go in tandem, um, just remain in compliance and do everything you can. I mean, have someone who have a compliance officer if you can. I mean, truly somebody that can go through on a weekly basis, if not, because I mean, there's so many time restraints, time uh, limits, and so many licenses to keep up with, so many matters to keep up with, um, time frames. I mean, you need to have an organized calendar and schedule of when testing needs to occur, when you need to send your plan um, for testing. You really need a constant, um, constant reminders and someone on top of that. So it's very important to stay organized. And if you're unable to, I highly recommend if you can to um, obtain like for compliance. Compliance officer. That's good. I haven't seen anybody out there on LinkedIn with that. Somebody that knows it should create a compliance officer job for themselves, you know, and help work with the different labs and different infrastructure. It's cool. Oh, you know, one more, one more question here. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs in general, Paul? You know, just seeing, you know, you're working with different clients, you're hearing different people, you know, you're obviously you're hearing a bunch of bottlenecks. What, what advice would you give people just starting out here? I would say have faith in the process. Um, it's going to be, it's a lengthy process. We're still uh, hashing out certain um, issues, obviously, as we're underway in this massive lawsuit, um, trying to oh. get these smokable bands uh, struck and uh, um, but just have faith in the process and it might take a little bit of um, time to hash things out but it'll be worth it and this is a this is going to be a booming industry Texas um, and it's farmers and everyone just needs to kind of meet in the middle somewhere and we're working on it yeah <clears throat> Oh, we had talked before we hey, let Paul, before we let Paul go. Does Greg or Bo, you have any more questions for Paul? Uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have a question so much as uh, echo his sentiments with getting a compliance officer. You know, too often what you see is people neglect to stay on top of paperwork and um, all of the little tedious tasks, and they start to add up. And then what happens is you get to a point where it's just mass negligence. And you end up in a really precarious situation. Um, and so that's definitely something I would echo on his behalf, uh, that the farmers really need to stay on top of their paperwork, stay on top of their testing, having it properly scheduled out, building your calendars for the farming year, and, and really assigning that task to one person almost is, is almost the best way in a lot of cases. So I would definitely just echo his thoughts there. It's a good idea. Never thought about that compliance officer for uh, for your farm. I mean, these farmers just want to farm, <laughs> and we're hitting them with so much paperwork and so much stuff to take care of. Uh, well, something else to uh, kind of add on as well. Um, we were talking, you know, what what can farmers do? 
Um, and it's important, you know, besides, you know, making sure your, your crop doesn't go hot so you, you can harvest to monitor for heavy metals and pesticides mm. now because of these requirements at the um, Department of Health Services requiring pesticides and heavy metals, if there are small concentrations in your biomass, when it's sold to go to processing, um, that, you know, the minute amount that you find in the biomass at that time will concentrate. Um, so it could get you, you know, into non-compliance. So um, it's kind of interesting, the, the hemp market is kind of self-regulated itself. I mean, yes, you, you know, we need tea-free, you know, biomass, but um, it seems that metals and pesticides are equally important, um, you know, and even though they're not required, um, you know, for the farmers, it's something definitely to be conscious of when, with your final product. It's a good point there. Paul, we're excited to have you join us later for the panel of all these different minds. Uh, we really appreciate your time. I'm sure you have other stuff to do until uh, we get back on, but we appreciate your time, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me, Dalton. Good to see you again. And yes, sir. See you in person soon. Post Rona, we'll be at a conference, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> our, next, uh, our, our next speaker is, uh, I'm really excited to have on the Farm Lab Forum. Uh, he's a guy I tracked down at, uh, I remember at NOCA, I was just trying to get his attention for a minute. <laughs> But uh, we're, we're, we're super happy to have Jeff Cole here, uh, founder of the United States Hemp Brokerage. And, uh, you know, we're really happy to have you here, Jeff. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, I, I definitely remember meeting you and uh, the first time and we've stayed in touch. And it's great to see, you know, your involvement in Texas and, and what's happening with Texas. We're, we love Texas, I tell you. Um, we, we work with a lot of farmers in Texas, we know this is first year and we've been plugged in for a few years, but um, you know, a little bit about me, I, I uh, kind of grew up in the advertising business. Um, I, right out of college, went to New York City, uh, worked on, on Madison Avenue and worked within natural product advertising uh, and media. Uh, worked a lot with, with major media like National Geographic and hmm. large networks like Village Voice Media, which have the Village Voice and the LA Weekly and a large network of alternative news weeklies. Um, so my, my real sort of expertise is in branding and bringing natural products to market, connecting in with sustainable enterprise and trying to, fa to facilitate the shift from a fossil fuel-based economy to a bio-based economy. So I've owned a number of businesses within sustainability. So we, we kind of refer to them as sustainable enterprise. The beautiful thing about hemp is that you're inherently involved in sustainable enterprise when you're in the hemp industry. So I think that's why I gravitated toward hemp. I've been in it now for seven years and I'm super, super excited, you know, even more today than, than any other day in the last seven years, for sure. Man, that's exciting to hear, especially somebody that Thank has you. a little less than seven years uh, here, you know, to be excited, you know, people for farmers or processors or anybody listening, I mean, you have somebody that's been in this game for a while and they're still just as excited now as they've ever been. Uh, you know, that's you kind of stole my next question of what brought you into hemp. It's the sustainable. It's the healing, you know, the sustainable enterprise here. You know, sure. uh, I mean, what have you seen different about Texas so far on the sustainable enterprise mindset? You know, because obviously in Colorado, different places, they have a different mindset than we yeah. do from here. Uh, what's been kind of the core difference? Well, here's, here's what's been different about Texas very specifically, smokable hemp flower so, and all the issues around it. This is the issue in Texas. Now, the reason for that 
that's and like that's what's different in Colorado. And again, I've, I've you know been very fortunate to have earned every dollar of my living uh, for at least the last four years from the hemp industry. But even having been involved as late as seven years ago, we weren't we weren't dealing with uh, issues around smokable hemp flour at all. We were dealing with issues around Delta Nine and THC. And as as all the additional states, you know, sort of developed, you know, smokable flour really only in the last two or three years at most uh, has really become an issue. So I, I've seen that that change and that difference. Now, I'll say that I have sold a huge amount of hemp and hemp products into the state of Texas over the last three years. And it's been you know, kind of interesting during those those gray areas or those periods where there was a gray area, you know, for sure. I, I think and it's cool. We had the prop here too, unplanned prop. I like that because it, it is it is an issue. People couldn't grasp the concept of what is smokable hemp or what is hemp or people trying to make it different and the education right. gap, which is wrong. So we haven't had I see you guys haven't had those issues. That's interesting. Uh, well, we haven't had those exact issues, you know, at, at the at the stage of development within the state. I mean, that that this is really first year for Texas and kind of like at this particular time, you've got this major lawsuit that's happening around very specifically smokable flowers right. is, is unique for sure. Right. Other states have had the same issue, North Carolina in particular, um, you know, and, and each state really, you know, the state of Florida, even before there were any licensed anybody in the hemp business, they were regulating you know, how you sold product in the state of Florida. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting because QR codes and traceability, et cetera, real, et cetera, really came out of the state of Florida first. Mm. A lot of people don't even, even recognize that or understand that, but it's interesting to see how, how everything evolves and how things evolve differently in each state, you know, for over a, over a period of time. It's, it's interesting. It's going to get interesting. And we could talk about a little bit more offline, but I think another issue in Texas is we have our teacup program, which is our medicinal program. And it's very similar. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's just a difference of a couple, uh, you know, small percentages of THC is what separates the program. So for uh, sure, that's, that's for, probably for a different conversation, kind of bringing you up here, you know, you've obviously had a, had a good background in different advertising. You've been a part of some of the biggest brands you know, in, inside hemp and inside CBD, what led you to start the United States Hemp Brokerage? Well, you know, essentially when I got into the hemp business, you know, at first, like full time, um, I was part of, and I'm still a partner, not an operational or managerial partner any longer, but I'm a partner at Pure Hemp Technology. The reason that I gravitated toward Pure Hemp Technology is because they were really focusing on the industrial applications of hemp. So I'm really turned on and, and, and most interested in the industrial aspects of hemp. So I started the US Hemp Brokerage having many, many, many contacts and having really been involved in, you know, I mean, 65 brands. We've I've been involved in 65 brands now. Some of them include, you know, some of the larger, larger names. Um, and I got really kind of, kind of jazzed about all of the different brand opportunities within industrial applications, as well as in CBD. And for me, you know, CBD branding is, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little bit like a kid in a candy store because, you know, it's, it's so fun for me to do all kinds of different brands and connect in with different affinity groups and things like that. I just couldn't do that 
while I was working with any single brand. So, you know, at, at the same time, working at a brand level and having, you know, having to pay my, my sort of, you know, undivided attention to that brand as an employee, I found that increasingly difficult. And so you marry my passion for industrial hemp applications with not wanting to be pigeonholed in a certain brand. And that's, you know, to me, it made natural sense to build out a professional, you know, brokerage where, you know, like we have four different divisions. We have the cannabinoid division, which is very, very active. We have really great clients. We have branded clients like Willie's Remedy and First Crop and Restorative Botanicals and a whole, a, a, a list that's pretty short, but every single one of our brands is known as a super high quality brand that takes, you know, their certifications and their traceability and, and all of that stuff, they take it very seriously. That's the common thread with our brands. And then in, in our industrial divisions, we represent companies like the Hemp Plastics Company because we're all about, again, converting and, and you know, from a fossil fuel-based economy to a bio-based economy. And we want to do that in, in all of the areas. So the four primary divisions of the U.S. Hemp Brokerage are where we, we sort of operate. And so that's kind of why I did it. I needed... I saw the need for a professional brokerage house and, you know, I wanted to fill that. I have experience building out larger sales networks, doing larger scale national advertising and media plays. And that's super exciting, you know, for me. So that's why I, I did the USM brokerage. I, I like it for a few reasons. You know, one, just being a, a hustler, showing up to conventions, you always hear broker, 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 joker. What are you broker? Everybody's yeah. out here. People are trading seeds. People are trading flour. It's part of it. Yeah, man. That's definitely Dalton. You know, it's, it's part of why I felt the need to start this company. You know, I have, you know, all these different opportunities just having been in the business for as long as I have. And it's really it's really a job in and of itself to just try to maintain a decent reputation in the oh. industry. Like it's, it's difficult because, yes. you know, there's so much riffraff out there. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, if a couple of years ago, maybe really more like four or five years ago, there were brokers everywhere and, and, and everybody was selling to other brokers. So, you know, deals always fall apart, especially like in a commodities you know, trading setting, you have these things that are called, you know, um, it doesn't matter, I won't go through a whole, a whole, you know, thing on commodities, but, but you have these out trades and out trades are basically when you have competing interests on mm. either side of a transaction. Yeah. And when you're dealing broker to broker, you always have these competing interests on both sides of the transaction. So they fall apart. Yeah. And then also there's a, there's a major impact on pricing. So when you have multiple brokers contacting and selling through other brokers, it appears that there are more deals in the market than there may be. Mm. So that affects pricing. Pricing will go up, then deals fall apart, and you get all kinds of pissed off people, and, yeah. and understandably so. So we don't really work through brokers at the USM Brokerage. We are the broker. We have a lot of brokers who contact us, and you know we're not we're always super polite because we're brokers, right? Yeah. You know, so we're cool with them. We want to work with them. It's just that we know that we have to work with clients in order to avoid out trades. And if we don't do that, then there's a very good chance, like way over 90% chance that the deal will fall apart. So right. that's kind of how we, how we operate. So I'm not, 
chastising or chastening or anything like that, any brokers out there. I'm just saying that we know that the way to actually get trades done is to deal with clients directly. So we'll have brokers help us connect directly with their clients and then we'll manage the trades. Uh, so that's what we do. Well, and, and, and at the top, at the top of the sphere too, the compliance, you know, just some, some broker on the street from Oregon might not understand Louisiana hemp law, you know, <laughs> you got to mention that one, right? I mean, man, I mean Louisiana I, is a whole other beast. I did mention, I, I mean, Texas, it's just fun to, you know, hate on other people just a little bit. We're trying to do the best <laughs> we can here, uh, but collectively everybody has to come together for the interstate stuff. You, I, I appreciate that you brought that up and, you know, you're on a Texas uh, Farm Lab show. We got to talk about Willie's Remedy. You know, Texas down here. I, oh, I, was, yeah. I was worried you were going to go the whole time and not mention Willie's because that's interesting. <laughs> I said, like, oh, who's Jeff? I said he's, he 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 does a lot of stuff down here in Texas, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's a real it's a real honor to represent a company like Willie's Remedy. Mm. And you know, they've got you know, their Remedies Reserve brand. So, you know, they've already got, they came out, you know, multiple years before they they sort of, you know, built that bridge into the hemp markets. Right. Uh, they've got some phenomenal products. I mean, it, you know, they, they're they well known for their quality, you know, interacting with the team at Willie's is super fun. Uh, you know, they're, they're guarded in that, you know, the Willie's brand uh, is, it's a very, you know, sort of important brand to a lot of people. And what Willie stands for is very important, you know, to America, I think, you know, the, yeah. the great Americana, you know, I, I think he would, he would rank as probably the top yeah. you know, for many of us I mean, he's been uh, pushing the issue. cannabis recognition. He's been pushing the issue since before we knew what cannabinoids were. I mean, so oh, for sure, man, <laughs> you know, it's really, it's definitely the case of, you know, like the U.S. Hemp Brokerage, my team and I, we know that like we're to be honored to work with a company like Willie's. Look, man, we're we're standing on their shoulders. They're not standing on our shoulders, right? You know, they came before us and did, you know, really the the way more difficult work than, yeah, than we're doing just, right now. They had to live through the real life narcos, so you know, it's for always sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But it's pretty awesome, man. I, I'm looking forward to meeting him someday. I haven't yeah, yet. But we need the Rona to die down so we can get it going. Um, yeah, tired of sure. virtual concerts. So you brought up something that's interesting here because I've only, I mean, I know a few fiber growers here in Texas. But, you know, you talked about the different areas, uh, different divisions inside the United States hemp brokerage. Well, in sure. Texas, even if you're growing fiber, we still have to test on it. So can you kind oh, of sure. touch on, can you kind of touch on what, what, you know, your opinions on that, recommendations to fiber growers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've definitely got some, you know, there's no doubt about it. Um, okay, so as, as somebody who's, like, I, I've been involved in dozens and dozens of farms, of hemp farms. And, you know, last year I helped establish seven different hemp farms myself with different partners mm. and you know this is actually the first year that i'm not that i'm not actually um farming in the last four years so you know to to always have an eye on fiber and and all the things that you can do through you know growing a larger a larger hemp plant meaning that you've got nice big beefy stalks and long fibers and you can You've got lots of biomass in there that you can really, you know, you know, do things with. Like you can pull out the sugars and the pulp and the lignin out of the hemp stock and you can do all this great stuff. So, mm -hmm. so always looking to that as my passion in this industry, you know, to have to be sort of hemmed in by these same testing requirements 
uh, is really difficult. It's challenging. I, so, you know, my opinion is I think it's I think it's ridiculous. I understand the, the need for testing for sure. But when you're not growing or you don't have an outcome opportunity mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for something that's ingestible where you should be more concerned right. about the testing, then I think it's ridiculous. I think it's going to change. I think I think that ultimately over the next four and five years, the USDA is, is going to really under, start to understand <laughs> what the outputs can be. Yeah. And they're going to be forced to do some things. Yeah. And, and I think they're going to be forced because like in the great state of Texas, there are, are farmers who have very large grow opportunities for fiber mm-hmm. in particular, who really want to engage in it. They really don't want to be involved in CBD markets. It's not their thing. They're trying to convert from other staple crops that they've grown historically into a hemp crop that that should become a staple crop in the state of Texas. It really should. We can't flip big cotton to big hemp and giving them a bunch of red tape to deal with. Like these these, these, these guys and co-farmers, they don't want to deal with that in West Texas. Like we can speak on that. That's right. That's right. And, 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 And look, truly, most people need to understand that when you're unhooking a cotton crop, for instance, in order to unhook that crop and replace it with a hemp crop, you're unhooking things that are like subsidies, long-standing relationships with local inspectors and regulators. Mm. Like you're unhooking relationships when you do that. So the, the business proposition shifting from a cotton crop to a hemp crop includes a lot more than just how much can you sell an acre of hemp for yeah like it's a very big complex situation There's, for many hemp farmers i never i never thought about that multi-generational cotton inspectors were also disrupting the, the, the eco uh, system out there i saw greg you hey, uh greg do you have any questions for jeff no i was, ju- I was just gonna add you know hey, uh Jeff's europe um they changed the rules and regulations to one percent for thc about a year ago and they've been growing hemp for considerably longer than we have here in, in the state. So it's just kind of interesting to see um, where, where they are, where Europe's at. And um, I think it was like the Netherlands and yeah. a couple other places. But they did, you know, change the THC percentage from 0.3% to 1%. True. Um, True. So that, you know, I, I do see that as possibly maybe the next up and coming. Yeah, there, there's definitely... Yeah, you're, you're dead on on that. You know, it's it's kind of like uh, I spent some time in the green building industry and I owned a company where we financed green buildings. And, you know, I'm involved in the U.S. Hemp Building Association. And currently I'm running for a board position with that group uh, because I have involvement previously in green building. And, you know, in, it's like that in, in Europe, especially where green building back in the early 2000s, where green building was starting to pick up in the U.S., they'd already been growing green buildings at certification levels that were basically lead certified equivalent levels for years in Europe. And they're, they're definitely ahead of us again. And they're ahead of us on this compliance as well, even well, in the hemp markets. We can, we, we had Amsterdam for, for years. So they've been way ahead of us. No, <laughs> well, Hey, you know, what's funny about that is, is I grew up in the South in Tampa. And so I, I technically grew up in Tamsterdam. Mm. And that's kind of how we refer to, to Tampa, Tampa, you know. So I think we're going to see a lot of things uh, coming out of the state of Florida 
that are going to be super relevant to things in Texas. And I'm hoping that Texas can avoid some of the things that have happened in Louisiana at the same right. time. We've got to. Right. We've got to. There's one, there's yeah. one more question uh, I've, I've got for you, Jeff. And I'm excited to have you back on the panel later to talk about some of these things. Certainly. For national distribution, you know, for a CBD farmer, somebody trying to get it going, you manage a lot of big brands. You know, with including the testing, if, if somebody sure. to make a national brand out of their small Texas hemp farm, what advice would you have for them? Not just in scaling, but with the, like being able to have somebody like you represent their brand. What are you looking for? Well, so when with brands that we work with, we do some pretty, pretty deep consulting in most cases. And so we're helping brands get retail ready. Mm. So I think the most important thing is this. For any brand in the state of Texas, in any state at all, is to understand channel marketing. You gotta understand that you're a channel marketer and where you sell and through which channels you sell, you have to understand that first. And that's so you begin with the end in mind and identify the channels for sell through for your brand. And, you know, until you can do that, you'll fumble and it'll cost you a lot of money and you'll make mistakes. But that's like, you know, mistakes happen. And, yeah. you know, if anything, we try to position ourselves. We give a lot of free advice, you know, for sure. We're happy to take any calls that may come in from anybody in the state of Texas, you know, focus on compliance, quality, and traceability after you've established what channels you're going to, through which you're going to sell. I like that. I like that. I really sure. appreciate your time here, uh, Jeff. And it's exciting. I mean, this all, it all plays in together, especially on the industrial side. We might For have sure. our good friend CBD Jeannie coming in. We'll see if her, uh, if, if nice. her, her video comes in. But yeah, she's got a really great video. Um, we'll be able to tune in. We appreciate you, Jeff, and we'll see you back. Thank you much. I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate all the all the hemp farmers in Texas. Yeah. Once once uh, once things change, we'll get you down here. We'll get you down here. Oh, we'll be there for sure. <laughs> you can count on it. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Hey, hey, CBD Jeannie. We saw your face there for a second. <laughs> back, back in the bottle uh yeah in the oil lamp <laughs> yeah, i'm saying dad jokes over here uh you know you're you're just such a friendly face to have on here um you know because we, we, we've known each other for a while through a lot of different areas and so it's just fun for me but for anybody that isn't aware of cbd genie uh can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're so passionate and what different roles you're playing and continue to play for texas Yes, sir. Thank you, Dalton, for having me. And I just wanted to say thank you to Greenlight Events and thank you to Texas Farm Labs. I appreciate you guys putting this uh, platform together so we can continue to have the cannabis conversation. And shout out to Ritter Spencer for filing the lawsuit on smokable hemp products. Yeah. So much, guys, and to all the speakers. Um, but a little bit about myself, real quick. Um, I was in the Air Force for eight and a half years, so I just always want to give that shout out to the veterans as well. Bachelor of Science in Cell and Molecular Biology, uh, with a minor in Chemistry and Spanish. Um, from 2007 to present, I've been a medical professional uh, for the past eight years, diagnosing infectious diseases, literally up to present with COVID, hitting the front lines with that as well. Um, certified essential oil coach, um, a patient with a cannabis testimony having ulcerative colitis. And, but above all this, the, the most important thing is being a cannabis science communicator. So just being in Texas and leading with science and facts and education is, is what mm. I'm all about. 
It's huge. I mean, we really appreciate all the early education you've done. Now it's getting more streamlined. I looked over your website. It looks amazing. Um, I don't know if now would be a good time to show that video before we ask any more questions. Do you think? Yeah, huh? there's a terpene video on there. Yeah, <laughs> just to see what's going on here. Here. I'll have to pull it up in a sec. Before I, before I pull up that video, um, you know, why do you think testing is so important from the lab side of things? You know, obviously you, you, you've worked in a lab, you see it. What makes it super important? Well, first and foremost, without the lab, you're just guessing. You have no idea what's going on. So testing cannabis uh, via analytical diagnostics is valuable. It's necessary for safety. It's necessary to understand your product, right? Properly label your product. Um, that's where, and then certificate of analysis, that's where that all comes in. COAs to help with that and understanding because it comes down to personalized medicine when you really understand the compounds that are present, you know, the, the yields of those compounds. And of course, everything else from the, the contamination of bacteria, residual solvents, right? So it's just a guide in knowing exactly what, what you're consuming. Cause now with everything going industrial in any company, in any business, the higher the scale, uh, the quality might go down a little bit. So that's where analytical diagnostic come into play. And I'm so excited that finally cannabis and science has come together in Texas. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is exciting. Uh, we might need some uh, te technical support on getting the, uh, getting the video up. I got to get my screen share going. So we'll keep going on the, uh, the interview, but I really love this video of the trichomes and what their purpose is. Yeah. Uh, What's next for the CBD genie? You know, I've seen videos and pictures of you at the farm. I've seen you doing things regarding educating. I know Corona's kind of slowed some things down. Um, yeah. You know, what's your, what's your next step there? Well, honestly, because of the slowdown with Corona, um, I've, well, not really slow down because it's, it's, it's busy in the lab. It's actually really packed. Um, it's crazy in the lab right now, in fact. But just like doing what we're doing right here, um, keeping the, con the conversation going and educating the science and facts um, via forums this way, I want to be able to help others who are doing exactly what you're doing here so that we can just continue to inform because that's where we fall short globally, to be honest, is the facts aren't there. But if Texas, we're, we're a game-changing state here. Mm -hmm. So if we can just keep making these moves and bringing people together, um, that's what I want to do. And even helping people make custom content, whatever, whatever your little heart can imagine when it comes to cannabis in regards to science, that's opening a tub of worms, right? It, it, there's so much information, so much to do, and I'm honored and excited to help people put that together because with the cell and molecular biology plus microbiology plus my own personal experience of, you know, with medications and everything, I, I, I like a genie, wear a lot of hats and can go into a different forms, you know? So I'm excited to help others one, understand it, and, and just so that we can make moves here in Texas. I mean, we've got to. It's been, it's been fun. I mean, I've seen you speak at different conventions. I mean, we talked about it before hemp was legal, just like, oh, what's going to happen or, or what's, what's next or things like that. Um, 
I know it's been so exciting being with you by your side. We have we have made some progress, Dalton, for real. We are making moves. Well, it's fun. I mean, because people, it's an education gap, especially, you know, what everybody was mentioning earlier uh, with just not understanding. You know, now we at least have rules. Texas rules clearly aren't perfect. That's why we got, you know, a, an awesome uh, team coming, you know, co- talking to the state about what's actually happening. I like what uh, Jeff said earlier about, Hopefully the USDA in a couple of years actually understands what's happening, so we can get so we can get some good rules uh, on it. And yeah, it's kind of hard when they're not really. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna say yes. I know. Yeah, we're just we're just being nice to everybody here. <laughs> so I've got some things figured out here. I think we'll be able to get this uh, video of the CBD genie here. Are you able to see that? Yeah. We go. Play this a little bit. Hey there, CBD Genie here. Today I want to talk about trichomes. In the cannabis space, you're going to hear terms like cannabinoids, for example, THC and CBD, as well as terpenes, for example, limonene and alpha pinene, just to name a couple. But where are these therapeutic compounds found? Notice that frosty crystal like appearance. Those are called trichomes. In Greek, trichoma means hair. So there's these glandular hairs on the surface of the flower. Within these glandular heads, also known as captate, you will find secretory cells. So theoretically, that's where the precursors of cannabinoids and terpenes are synthesized. The purpose of these compounds is for protection in nature from pests and microbes and environmental factors. Pretty impressive if you ask me. Stay tuned for more vids as we continue to learn together. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's interesting. People say CBD Genie, that's not just a title. I mean, you've got a lot of science background. Uh, not only did you serve our country, but there's a lot of things, you know, about the CBD genie that, you know, we definitely want the world to know and, uh, and why your opinion is important here. Let me see. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. So what do you think about this next legislative session? You know, we've got one underneath our belt that we kind of hung out at the last time, you know, what, do, what are you expecting or what are you hopeful for, um, you know, with this next legislative session? Well, now I feel comfortable first and foremost because uh, it's get, it's easy to get turned around in there, right? The first time I went there, I was I didn't know what was going on. Um, I was lost. I got lost several times, but now I feel so comfortable, and that I've had the opportunity to actually get my hands dirty and work with so many people mm. all across this great state. Um, this next legislative session is going to, I feel like it's going to be amazing, even more powerful than, I mean, because it, it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Yeah. Snow. So now with so many people actively making moves with farming, we're, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, is agriculture. You're right. And people are talking about the industrial side. I've talked to a couple of people that are growing fiber, seen one person growing fiber next to CBD. I'm interested to see how that turns out just in general. Interesting. Um, because I mean, might as well, you know, if you're just having, you know, I'm not going to say having fun, but if you're just an experimental farmer, I mean, do do you. Um, <laughs> hearing Jeff talk about the huge stocks and stuff, it's like, yeah, you might want to see some of that. Um, you know what, with, my, with, with, with the land that I've got, that my neighbor actually across the way uses uh, Roundup, I found okay. out just recently. So... Okay. 
So now um, I, that was a question I was just like to ask, just throwing out there, just putting out there in the universe also is like, if you've got neighbors that are knowingly using pesticides uh, like carcinogen, carcinogenic Roundup, um, does that carry in the wind very far? Is there <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad you popped your head up here, Greg. I was about to see if you could come yeah. in. So I know Oregon no has had huge problems with this, I think. Well, I mean, even one of our larger farms um, at our lab in California that we were servicing, they were a 2,000 acre farm. Um, and they're out in Ventura. I don't know if anyone uh, is familiar with the area, but a lot of ag out there. And it's just a lot of, you know, field after field after field. And um, next to a lot of our, our hemp, uh, fields were cabbage and other crops and they would come out and you know massive trucks with all suited up and spray and there we'd get a lot of overspray um, along you know the surrounding uh, perimeter of the of the plant so it can definitely carry in the wind and it can definitely be a, an issue. Yeah thank you. With the, with the great part about um my space is we have 16,000 square feet of greenhouse space. So we'll definitely have a more controlled environment, but for the outdoor space, I was, I was a bit concerned and even worried about even food just because of that too. So thank you. It's just sad to me too, to see, I mean, commercial farming, I understand, but you know, these are, these are great crops. These are healing crops. Right. These are uh, sustainable enterprise crops. And you know, to have something like Roundup all over, it's just sad. It's just sad. I mean, we could be mad all we want to. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's 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 pretty uh, disheartening. Uh, so, I could I could actually weigh in on that. Um, what we've done as a solution for farmers is um, running barrier crop, whether it be um, whether it be you know uh, corn or sorghum, um, or even uh, fiber type hemp um, that's just in a little more dense packet. Um, you know, you obviously worry about in, in flower production is cross pollination. So we typically went with stuff that grows faster and taller, and that would be a barrier, a plant barrier, uh, surrounding the entire field, um, in order to protect the, you know, the targeted cannabinoid plants. Um, so that was a, a strategy that we have, we've employed in Oklahoma, Missouri, Oregon, of, of course. Um, and we found that, you know, we were able to mitigate any possibilities by having a dense row crop uh, protect it. That is an amazing suggestion. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's exciting. Glad to hear you pop in there. We see Paul. Paul, you got you got something to chime in on that? Oh no, darn! I was hoping. I saw your face. I'm like, oh, so he got some new legal talk that's coming down the pipe. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I really would, if you're, a, if you're a viewer at home, I would recommend looking over some of the other of the CBD Genie videos. They're really fun. Uh, they're, they're easy to explain to people that might not understand uh, certain parts of the science behind this, because it's really not as scary as you think. You know, when you look at it, hemp as a plant, because it's a plant, and there's a lot of other plants that you're not scared of. Um, that was really beneficial pre-hemp legalization. I mean, now it's cool because it's okay. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of different topics. What advice would you give to folks just starting out? You know, obviously you're a phenomenal networker. That's kind of how you and I met each other, just in general, just running around volunteering, doing things. What advice would you give to people that are just joining this new community? 
literally just that can just getting out there and showing up because if you show up you're going to be networking with the people who are like-minded and who are actually making moves because we already know we got the people who've been like supporting like whispering in the closets like yes i support you you know but show up make moves now like it's the time we're we've done so much and all the people before us who have put in the work gave me the inspiration as a medical professional to stand up and speak out on the facts and the science. So just showing up is the best advice and getting out there and doing your due diligence and research because the facts are out there. You know, um, a lot of people are scared. I myself was one of them a few years back and saying anything, I thought I was going to just get fired immediately just talking about it. So yeah. um, but no, this is the, just know that they're doing the right, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if you're not a patient now, you might be later. That's one of my favorite things because it's, <laughs> you know, it's really hypocritical for young people to say, oh, we don't need that pain medicine. All right, we'll see. Who doesn't <laughs> we'll see. have stress or anxiety or <laughs> anything, you know, or, something. Or who's not sitting in traffic right now? Because I know we all are. So it is one of those things. Uh, CD, Jeannie, Anita, we appreciate your time. We're, we're hopeful that you join us back on the panel. I know we're, we got Sage up next. Um, so if he can, before you bounce, maybe we'll see if he can tune in with his face. Uh, see if he can show some stuff. Looks like it. <laughs> Duh, we appreciate you. We'll see you in a little bit. All right. See ya. What's, what's going on, Sage? Oh, hey, what's up, Dalton? Happy Friday. Okay. Hey, there we go. We see we got Jeff. You got a big stock out there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm right. I'm now just jumping in, my, in every uh, now and then with props. There we go. Oh, we do like yeah. that. <laughs> we need that. <laughs> uh, no, Sage. It's uh, it's great to see you out there in, in your in your uh, hat, and I see the crops right behind you, man. This is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I always forget we're we're on a show. People need to talk. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, your sure, background. sure, what, yeah. What kind of got you in into him? Yeah, and, I can like, do that. So uh, my family, uh, I come from an agricultural background. We did 400 acres of alfalfa in Clovis, New Mexico as I was growing up. And uh, we, uh, you know, we lived in Texas and I went to school in East Texas in Nacogdoches at Stephen F. Austin and uh, got my undergraduate degree in cellular molecular biology with a combined sciences major or minor, excuse me. And, um, you know, from there, I kind of just went from, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with that and partnered up with a great startup that was hydroponic, vertically integrated uh, growing for food crops and commercial uh, food production. And so for the past five years, I've really focused on indoor uh, hydroponic growing and meeting the standards of getting food to the likes of Cisco, Fresh Point and Brothers Produce and learning the ropes of growing food on a commercial scale. Um, so when my partner decided, you know, obviously when you're in the food space, there's always that conversation, especially if you use the word hydroponic, um, well, when are you going to get into cannabis? When are you going to get into cannabis? And my partner had experience with it in Washington and California and Oregon. And before you know it, you know, we're applying for our Texas hemp license and we're, we're in it, as you can see, we're in, we're in it right now. And so, um, I guess my, my getting into this space was uh, to take my knowledge and expertise on growing food um, through good manufacturing practices and through good agricultural practices, and then making it applicable to the Texas hemp space um, through Texas hemp cultivators. Um, and so that, that's kind of the, the reason why I got into it. 
And, uh, you know, aside from, you know, doing it, uh, you know, with the best possible ingredients, uh, we're organic certified through the CCOF and trying to breed stabilized plant genetics in Texas because of this crazy heat and this intense UV light that we get from, you know, just our location in the United States. But yeah, so that's pretty much what got me into it. Uh, it's just my uh, agricultural background in general. Man, it's cool. It's really cool to hear that. I mean, it just goes back and forth because there's so much I want to get into this with you, you know, from the testing to the food and everything. Uh, yeah. where, where, where are you located at now? So we're located. Um, so as a part of Texas Hemp Cultivators, we're a part of a larger group called Tech Select, which is a food processing and greenhouse consulting and system uh, building company. And we're located, our Texas uh, hemp uh, crops are located west of Fort Worth in uh, Parker County on a 19-acre cropland that has been certified organic and follow for the past four years. And so we're in a small little area called Alito. And uh, this is where we're growing and breeding our, uh, we're focusing exclusively on our CBG1s this year and, and all of our other uh, uh, CBG crops to get a stabilized uh, grow. But yeah, so cool. just west of Fort Worth, yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, it's cool just to see the different parts of grid come on. You've mentioned organic a few times and we've talked yeah. behind the scenes about different certs and you know, we joke around in different Facebook groups. Everybody's saying they're the only organic Texas farm. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. And, you know. <laughs> there are a few. There are a few. There's not. Sure, there's sure. yeah. Uh, I'll, never, I'll never say we're the only because the only would be implying that people are doing it to be only it. For this right. uh, industry to grow and for us to have good standardization and really good practices that resemble what's going on um, in Washington and California, we should all aim to be organic. We should all aim to do things under, you know, good manufacturing practices and good agricultural practices. So larger bodies and larger industries can recognize that there's a standardized way of doing things. And so one of the first things that we did as a group is, you know, food background. What can we do to become a more marketable product? You go to the USDA, you figure out where your third party certifier is, or who your third party certifier is, and you go and do the audit process, which for us, it was a year-long process because you don't just talk about how you're growing the plants, but rather how you take care of the land and how you mitigate risk, like weeding. Um, how do you, you know, build your soil? Where are you getting your nutrients from? And it's essentially like getting a huge tax audit, but instead of, you know, revealing your finances, you're re revealing the kind of uh, the infrastructure you have to put in place to grow from all your amendments to where you're sourcing manure to lab tests and fecal matter, fecal, fecal matter, matter tests and soil tests through every step of the way. You turn this over. Our certifying body is through, Cal or through a California company called the CCOF, and uh, they do a lot of food production and a lot of uh, organic brands that you see in Whole Foods and Central Market. And uh, we submitted everything to them. We, you know, passed with flying colors, you know, thanks to, you know, my team and the experiences that we had on the food side of things. And we're just applying it to hemp and it'll then be applied to any products that are derived from our product as a USDA certified uh, organic crop. And, you know, that's kind of where we're going with it, trying to be pioneers in that way and trying to teach people how to do that um, once we stabilize this industry and, you know, things of that nature. I mean, that's exciting. I like your background. Um, you know, for a while I was running around saying I was going to farm. We still don't have seed in the ground. <laughs> sure, sure. We got to respect. You got to call a spade a spade here because it gets really complicated and confusing. You want to do it right yeah. to the patient. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that take this yeah. medicinally. Um, that's yeah. why I really love that you're really on the organics. You're on the heavy metals. You're on the pesticides. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, 
your how you're planning on testing? Oh, or sure, how, sure, you know, yeah. So you know, like, it's like what goes into the thought process of you know, absolutely. you're organic. You want to make sure you do both these things the right way. Yeah, yeah. So before I touch on that, I definitely want to before I forget touch on Anita brought up the potential neighbors that are spraying glycophosphates in these carcinogenic pesticides. Um, one of the things that organic certification does, it, it really hits on that. It, it, it knows every aspect of agriculture because they're based out of California. What you have to do as a farmer going through this, at least through the CCOF, is you present these um, mitigation plans to mitigate risks. One of them was just like, um, I believe it was Jeffrey or Paul that was talking earlier about using row crops and buffer crops. We did the same approach, but instead of them being food crops, we used them for pollinators around our three acre plot. So we planted clover and native grasses as a buffer crop. We don't have any neighbors, um, the area that we're in that produce or practice agriculture. So we don't have to worry about any really gnarly spraying, but we do wanna mitigate that risk and show to anybody that wants to get into this space, these are the things that you have to do. It's better to be preemptive than reactive um, when you're growing anything uh, from my experience. Um, so yeah, um, to touch base on back what you were saying there, Dalton, the testing process is crucial because you don't want to go in there blind. And what the Texas Department of Agriculture has given to you, once you get your lot coding under your license, you have a 14-day window. Once you get your lot code, you tell based you tell them based on your um, planting date when your harvest date is going to be, and then you just schedule with the TDA when they're going to take their sample, which is 14 days before whole harvest, and they're going to test the total Delta 9. And then you, it's your due diligence to pick up a, a or a farm lab, or excuse me, pick a lab as a farmer to send your samples so you aren't shooting in the dark, like Anita said. Um, you want to be on top of what your cannabinoid contents are because you do not want to be surprised when a Texas Department of Agriculture agent comes out here and says, well, uh, this is a really hot crop. Did you know that? You don't want to have a no as an answer. You want to have That's a yes. True. I knew where we were at. Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. It's, so. it's better to get it. It's better to get ahead of it. You know. Oh than my it gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Farming. Farming is about being preemptively ready and predicting what you're doing. It's not being reactive. If you're That's reactive true. in farming, you're already two weeks behind. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Kind of like driving. You know, you gotta know yeah. you gotta predict what's gonna happen. <laughs> so your analogy is defensive farming. Is that what you're defensive saying? Farming. Yeah, <laughs> that's what, that's how I'm playing. And I'm not I'm not out of the farming game just yet. I'm just I'm sure, just waiting sure. to see how things play out. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we've talked a little bit about you know the food. A lot of people want to put food inside their CBD mm -hmm. products. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your experience and what you know about you know, sure. you being a part of this? Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the things is being able to establish common definitions and being able to understand where, uh, what the wording is for certain things. Mm. You know, a lot of people right now, since we don't have a really strong base that's advocating and there's a lot of legislation where, like Anita said prior, was keeping people in the closet. Once we start standardizing things and people start understanding what full spectrum is, what broad spectrum is, what an organic crop is, what a conventional crop is, that's going to allow us to go towards um, food manufacturing a lot easier because one of the obstacles right now, and uh, definitely one of the lawyers will be able to speak to this, is that CBD or any kind of hemp-derived product isn't recognized by the Food and Drug Administration to be ingested. But you and I both know that we're taking tinctures, capsules, uh, gummies, and all of these things, and we're ingesting them. There's no other way yeah. to do it. 
um, since there's a smokable hemp ban, you know, on the horizon again, yeah. uh, the idea is let's circumvent that. And so what you can do, and again, what we're trying to position ourselves as is a food processor, just like beer is defined in the state of Texas. And I believe in the United States as a um, food staple, they're under regulations that measure that from the growing of the malted barley, the growing of the rice and the hops, every single step of the way up until you get that finished product, they're under um, manufacturing standards and they're regulated by food manufacturing standards up until the, the consumer has it. And there's a supply chain that's really clear because of those standards and certifications. Um, my experience with CBD is just like you would get that gas station CBD, you tell me where they are uh, manufacturing and processing those things. You tell me where their, um, you know, their good agricultural practice standards were for that hemp product. Can you even tell me if it is a hemp product? And so that's, that's kind of where my head's at with that and what I've seen in the industry. And there's some great players. Um, one of the first USDA certified organic players in the space for CBD and hemp crops was Charlotte's web and RE botanicals. And they're, out of this world in product quality because they've been in Colorado and Oregon watching the standardization of the market unfold and being ahead of it from a, a food safe practices uh, standpoint. So, yeah. That's cool. I mean, to see, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be first, it's one thing to be better and to be first and better. Like that's usually helpful to have a stabilized, you know, sure. crop, especially for the medicinal point, you know, a lot yeah, of yeah. for fun. Or, or to smoke or to make money off of, mm -hmm. you know, as an enterprise, sustainable enterprise for fun. But at the end of the day, the end, a lot of these end consumers are patients that don't, can't go through the teacup because they don't qualify or they don't know where to get. It. I mean, so we really have to take seriously the, the type, the process that we're giving these, these people, their medicine. Mm -hmm. um, before, before we go, uh, you mm -hmm. know, we're super excited to have you back on the panel with different farmers, different farming perspectives. Very excited to be here, Dalton. But uh, what, you know, what are you most excited about, you know, coming up to harvest? You know, what's, what's the most oh my gosh. What's exciting thing happening here? So there's a little running joke here on the farm. And the idea was, you know, this is our first, uh, you know, we've consulted to growing in Washington and California and Virginia um, with cannabis and hemp alike. But the joke is, once you start doing it to scale, it's not how hard things become, but how opportunistic it is. So, you know, mm -hmm. running a, a mulcher better on three acres takes a good amount of time and a good amount of labor. And so it's facing these challenges. And so mm -hmm. as you look down harvest, you know, what's the historically hard point in, you know, hemp farming? It's harvesting, curing. It's, it's that finish. It's the finish line, yeah. right? which is not necessarily the finish line because then it goes to, yeah. you know, if you didn't have a contract in place, thank goodness, um, we're, we're aiming towards one, but if you didn't have a contract in place, it's selling it, but it's the matter of, you know, reaping what you've sown and, you know, farming is, as a practice of what you put in to it is what you get out of it. And so as we've, um, you know, did our due diligence and worked really hard on building a living soil system outside and inside our 30,000 square yeah. foot greenhouse, it's it's uh it's fun to see the flowering plants and i've got some beautiful plants behind me but it's also fun to see what we'll be capable of doing out in the fields of texas in this like really really uh harsh and extreme environment that these plants have never seen before yeah. and uh you know grabbing the beautiful genetics we have and then continuing the lineage to the mm -hmm. next season and to the next season until we have something that us as texans can um <clears throat> excuse me 
us as Texans can really grab onto and, uh, you know, turn into something that'll, that'll yield, uh, you know, a quality product for years to come and, uh, you know, be, uh, be something to look forward to. I mean, these are some historic DFW hemp genetics. Like, let's just call it sure. safe. Like, that's true. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Like, we're, we're on that cutting edge. I like how you're looking for the good genetics, and we really need qualified people. The more I learned about farming, the more I realized we need to leave that to some farming <laughs> professionals. You know, I can't. Yeah, spot. hey, but you I should definitely, you need to get into it. Don't get your hands dirty, <laughs> because before you know it, there's like a, uh, you'll hit this point of, um, you know, exponential return. So you just get into it. And yeah. before you know it, you'll be wearing the same hat sitting amongst 3000 plants and just yeah, hanging out. We've, man. Gotta, we've all got to go back to farming and we've got to go back to living <laughs> off the land, regenerating the soil. You know, that's yeah. what Jeff had mentioned earlier about sustainable enterprise. And for me, it's like regenerating the soil, you know, making mm-hmm. it happen. We really appreciate your time, Sage. I know we'll, we'll, we'll see you again in about 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Our main man, Eddie's about to come on here. We'll see if Ooh, we can see his face. Sweet. Thanks, uh, Dalton. Thanks, Farm Labs. I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate you, Sage. We'll see you in about 15 minutes. Yep, yep. What's what's going on, Eddie? Hey, what's going on, Dalton? How are you doing, man? Oh, man, doing well out here. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to get into a couple things with you, especially Oak Cliff. You know, people that know about Dallas know what Oak Cliff is and what it stands for and how it's really important Mm -hmm. to our community out here. Um, That's right. And something else Eddie's going to bring to the table is talking about some emergency protocols, which we're, you know, really excited to get into. This is this is going to be a pretty good interview here. Uh, before we go into that, Eddie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what got you into farming and kind of what you're working on right now. All right. Hey, Dalton, I really appreciate you inviting me to this, man. Yeah, um, I'm, I was born and raised in Oak Cliff, you know, before, before Oak Cliff became trendy. Um, I'm married and I got two wonderful kids that keep me busy at home here at the farm. Um, well, right out of high school, man, I joined the Marine Corps, did my time in the Marine Corps, and then uh, went, when I was done, I went to University of North Texas, got a degree in emergency management. And then I went to work for FEMA, man, and worked for FEMA, became a, FEMA became my family for a number of years, you know, living out of suitcase, chasing disasters. And um, I finally decided I wanted to change, and um, I've always been a fan of cannabis, you know, I've been tracking it. And uh, when I noticed those coming through, I was like, man, I'm going to jump on this train before I, before I miss it. So I, I got a... Uh, got buying from my family and I got the right business partner and we got the right resources. So we decided what the hell to jump in and see what we can do with it. And that's how we got into the business and loving it. Been loving it ever since. Dude, y'all's farm looks good. We might have to, I might have yeah. to a video. You know, I say this to a lot of different farmers. You know, if you create good content, it allows people to share it, you know, right. You always, I, I don't know if y'all have a drone out there or what, but it's always looking good. Uh, you know, I was going to say, just in general, because Oak Cliff is, it's, it's special to me. It's funny. It's actually where my dad's from. And just some things in general. Right. You know, why why did you feel it was important to put that into your your name, you know, for the Dallas community, for the people? Right, man. Yeah, you know, initially, uh, the name of the business was Brothers in Hemp because, you know, I'm a veteran, right? So I was trying to represent the uh, military community. But, uh, it's, you know, I'm from Oak Cliff, and my partner's from Oak Cliff, my family's from Oak Cliff, and I want to represent where we come from. You know, when I talk about Oak Cliff, I feel like a sense of pride and family and the culture, man. That's really I wanted to bring into our brand, yeah. right? The brand, you know, Oak Cliff is grit, you know. Um, I wanted to bring that out to the forefront, and I want to represent the community well. And that's the whole reason we changed our name to Oak Cliff Cultivators to represent that culture where we come from. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, what's been your biggest challenge? You know, because I know we've, I mean, we've seen each other at a lot of different conventions, a lot of right. different clubs. You know, and it, every time I see it, be like, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're changing, we're learning, uh, learning in, in, right. in machine time. What's been the biggest challenge so far, you know, of, of what you've come up on? Right. 
Right, Dalton. Hey, man, I'm a city slicker. I was working, you know, I was on, you know, working behind the desk, laptop, going from that to running a tractor to, you know, finding soil to irrigation. That was a challenge for me. You know, it was a learning curve has been steep, you know, but luckily, I think, uh, I think one of the, one of the speakers, uh, I think the genie, CBD genie, she mentioned it, you know, get out there and network and people like you, I've met, you know, I met some friends out there become really good, close friends and networking. So I, that's really helped me out, you know, moving forward, you know, pick up the phone, call somebody, hey, man, how do I do this drip irrigation or what is the right nutrients? So, you know, it's been a learning curve for me all, all the way across the spectrum of just farming or, you know, running, running this hemp farm here. It's cool. It'll keep evolving. You know, as a farmer, I know, you know, you learn and then, you know, you, you wish you do, you don't know what you don't know, then you learn again. And it just, right. So it's exciting. You know, talking about the importance of testing, you know, this is a testing show. We're talking about these things in general. You know, how often sure. are you testing or what, you know, what's been your biggest, you know, cause it's so confusing. We were just hearing different opinions on different states, different that, you know, what's been your yeah. experience so far and, and how you're deciding to swing it over there at Oak Cliff. You know, you know, man, I, I think amongst everybody spoke today, man, I think I'm, I'm probably the rookie here, man. I've really have no farming experience. Right. Um, but testing is something I really, really studied up on. And I asked a lot of dumb questions up front because, you know, that's how you succeed in this environment. Some questions up testing, front. Let's go. <laughs> right, right, right up front. Let you know. Um, but no, testing is key, man. I think right now I've been doing pre-harvest testing. I'm at a point to where I'm going to be doing weekly testing, you know, just check, to check my potency level to make sure I'm, I'm on track for my harvest state, you know, as I continue to press down, you know, down to, as a safe mansion, the finish line, you know, getting to that finish line. I think right now is the toughest part for me um, that I've, from, you know, from, the veg stage, the pre-flower to flower to where I'm at right now, almost the harvest, harvest, pre-harvest, I guess it's pre-harvest is the hardest part, man, because you're watching that bud grow, watching that everything grow, make sure all the nutrients in. So, you know, just trying to move it forward and testing. If you don't have a testing plan or as Paul mentioned before, I have a good calendar and organized oh, man. state compliance, man, that's, that's key. Yeah, since we've talked about, I've actually had a couple of people reach in saying they know about compliance. So we might be able to really connect some yeah. dots here. You know, there's all there's room for everybody, especially if they're good at something here. Um, and that was that was a great thing they brought up compliance. You know, obviously, man, that's, yeah. we had that in emergency management. So I never thought about you know bringing yeah. that to this industry. I think I mean I think somebody needs to put on their LinkedIn. They're a hemp compliance officer. If they understand what they're doing, they're yeah they're gonna find a job out here. You you mentioned it, it's a good segue into it about your emergency management system. You know, obviously this right. world going on. There is different emergencies, different times. You know, sure. from your perspective, you know, we talk about Texas specific, but with your cross knowledge of hemp and and FEMA, you know, emergency management. What what is what is right. something need to be on the lookout, or what is something they could do to protect themselves, or resources available to them? Right, you know, just I'm gonna back up a little bit. You know, I don't know if everybody's been tracking the weather, but we got two. We got two storms heading our way. It's going to be a, a left and a right coming towards Louisiana and Texas. So, you know, be ready. You know, know your threats. You know, if you don't know your threats, you're going to, you're going to be hurting in the long run or on the recovery side. But knowing your threats and preparing for your threats. For example, like uh, you got a hurricane coming through, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your plan for a power if you lose power, right? How you can, if, you got, if you're already going to harvest or you know you're about to go into harvest, do, do you need to pull harvest before that storm comes and flood your crop? You know, you need to start thinking about those things, power other generated backups, you know, understand if you're not registered with FSA, USDA, you know, if a disaster hits your local jurisdiction, you might be eligible for um, federal aid 
as long as it gets a federally declared disaster. So those things you need to be aware of, you know, know your threats, prepare for, and then ensure you can maintain business continuity through any kind of st- hurricanes, tornadoes. I mean, I was, I was sweating bullets recently because of wildfires right here next to my farm. So I, I, I planned for wildfire, but I never thought I'll be seeing the flames and volunteer mm-hmm. firefighters trying to put it out right next to me. I, man, that's crazy. It's really crazy. I'm thinking yeah. we got to check on our friends over there at Third Coast. You know, I'm thinking everybody on the coastal side of this really needs to be aware. Um, yeah, man. Any, anybody east of 35, you really need to be paying attention to that weather forecast. The National Hurricane Center is a good source for information and pay attention to your local jurisdictions as they put out voluntary evacuations, mandatory evacuations, and just know what area you in and be prepared for that storm coming. And there's a little bit of context here because I believe it was either North or South Carolina. I think North Carolina for sure um, had a hurricane hit a few years ago and there were some hemp farms that got seriously damaged. Yeah, man, I actually did some training in, in North Carolina in a, with, a, with a tobacco farmer who switched to hemp farmer. And he just talked about how that, cr- that, that storm destroyed his crop. He lost about 80 percent of it. So in the most, he, like he years ago, right? Yeah, was- yeah, yeah. I forgot the name of the storm. And those names kind of blurred to me now. But, uh, yeah, you, you need to be ready. And like I said, if you're on it, because, you know, a lot of people are on the cusp of harvest time. So if you're on the east side or you're, even if you're in Louisiana, because Louisiana's going to get a hit right now, it's jogging towards New Orleans. And then we got the, first, the other one jogging towards Houston. So you need to watch where that tra- the trajectory is going and prepare for that. Well, and especially, I mean, by the time it hits, it's too late to see if you're USDA registered for federal aid, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah it's too late. But you know what? You can start planning now because we're about right. a week out before any kind of landfall. So check your backup generators. Make sure you got fuel, right, with your evacuation plan. Who, who's going to be in charge while you're, while you're away? You know, just, just pay attention does, to those things. Dalton, I was going to ask, does the TDA... Um, do they allow for an emergency harvest for something um, of that nature, or do they still have to follow protocol? You know that that's a good that's a good question. Um, I don't know, but uh, I know I when know. Uh, disasters when a disaster is coming, FEMA allows for emergency preparations. Right? There's there's they allow for pre they call it pre staging. Right. So that might be a good question we could put into TDA about things like that, especially if we're concerned about East Texas getting hit from a hurricane. Yeah, emergency. emergency. Maybe during the panel we could get a, we could get Paul or we could crowdfund the answer somehow. That's a really good question because if we can and the hurricane's yeah. coming, and you're eighty percent. It's time to right. and get out of town. I mean, you have to I get, you, make, you have to get yeah, the I test. Want, I mean, before you're allowed to harvest. And mm-hmm. so, how the heck are you going to be able to do that with a hurricane that is barreling down I out mean, of nowhere? You know what? Right one now, thing. You think, that, you, you, let me. Can I interject real quick? Um, a preparation that we, you know, following those same problems. A lot of our coastal storms, being eighty miles from the coast here in Oregon, um, we actually track like the jet streams all the way to Tibet, and that's what feeds our storm systems. And we were like looking at it. So I was getting storm system warnings from NOAA from Tibet right. to track two weeks earlier just so I had an idea of what's coming to echo what you're talking about uh, being that right. prepared is so critical and you may be able to get in that harvest in time and have the preparations with the TDA in order to get it tested, right. verified and move forward. Um, but, but that's just a basic farming practice that we've employed uh, just to try right. and be able to, given that insurance is lacking in so many ways, um, just to, just to echo in. 
you know, yeah, just well, in case, you know, for those Dalton, just real quick, just for those who are listening, if you don't know your local jurisdictions, emergency management, that emergency manager, that's who's responsible for your local area. Then you have state emergency management, right? And then you got your federal side. Always begin at the local level, and that's where you get your information from. I mean, it's really unique to have somebody with your position and your inner working knowledge of, you know, the uh, the federal emergency management agency. I mean, that's interesting here, especially when all the right. people don't know what it is until they absolutely need it, <laughs> and then it's right. Really, right. Who knows about it? Well, our friends at Oak Cliff Cultivators do. So, you know, that's unique. You might not be. You might be a first time farmer, but you're making up right. With your, uh, insight that people need right now. Uh, you know, rapid, we're almost about to bring everybody back for the panel. You know, before we do, what's one thing you want uh, the industry so far that, to know about you or, or Oak Cliff cultivators or just, you know, something you've learned, maybe some advice for people that want to start their own farm, but they're first-time farmer? You know, you're a first-time farmer, maybe something about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, you know, just net your network, man. Uh, I know on, in my previous life in emergency management, if I didn't have those relationships before disaster, you're screwed, right? So same thing on the pharma side. If, if you're, I think Sage Man mentioned that if you're being preemptive, if you're not looking for those answers beforehand, you're going to be screwed on the pharma side and you'll be way behind. So I think building those relationships and fostering them, don't worry about walls and lanes, man. Get out there and meet people, right? Yeah. Make those friendships and build that partnerships. That's cool. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was it was easier before the whole Corona time. So remember, me and you, we were. Ch- I mean, you see the same same people at different events. You're like now you know, and now you know these people are serious. Right, and right. Share, you know, ideas, different things. I would say that's a great advice for somebody just to get in there. Um, well, we appreciate we appreciate you coming on, Eddie. Seriously, and uh, you yeah. know, you're usually at the end to bring everybody back in that's uh, available uh, still with us. I know people have schedules and things, so our panel can go on and start. <clears throat> Um, we have a lot hey, of Dalton, I wanted to add uh, one thing too. You kept talking about a hemp compliance officer, right? And you know how important that is. And you know, I was just thinking about it. That really is a function that Farm Labs does help with. A lot of our farmers and manufacturers, we know the rules and regulations as well as anybody. And um, you know, we're always happy to help answer questions. So um, we've helped a lot of our uh, farmers and manufacturers with compliance and. Um, doing testing to ensure um, that they will be compliant with final product as well. So um, testing, we really, yeah, yeah, just not only testing, you know, but, but the rules and regulations, because everything that we do in testing kind of revolves around the rules and regulations. So we need to know them um, in detail. I like that. No, I like it. It's a a good way you put it, Greg, because farm labs does say they're they're a partner, you know, it's not just a testing service, it's a partner in different things. So that's cool. That's really cool. We appreciate that. What's what's going on, Paul? Uh, I don't know if you heard that that legal question. If there's a hurricane coming, do we have a, a statute or something in place to harvest, to test and harvest early? Or is that uncertain right now? Um, from my knowledge, uncertain right now. I mean, that seems a little beyond the scope of what we're what we're given uh, from yeah. the TDA. I mean, but I'd like to think that if you got in touch with um, some TDA reps, that they actually would be helpful in that process. I mean, but then again, they might be um, resources might be drawn out pretty pretty uh, extensively, so that might be an issue. And that's something that people can bring up at the next legislative session because um, it's not like hurricanes are going to be going away anytime soon. These happen every year in Texas. So. Right. 
Right. It's always people just forget about it. You know, I think through Corona and other issues, uh, people have, uh, you know, just kind of forgot anybody that's still there. Uh, you can come back with a video or come back with your microphones. You can get a group conversation going and uh, tune in. I heard that. If there's any good questions. There we go. What's the next prop out here? <laughs> this is Hempford. There we go. It's yeah. uh, it's it's cool. I guess you know, Jeff, from from a Colorado perspective, you guys don't really deal with hurricanes. You know, has there been any emergency management freezes or or something that have you know kind of hurt some hemp farmers up there? Mm, no, not as much. There's some hail damage stuff like that. Um, we have had some pretty significant, uh, you know, poor weather years. Definitely mm. some drought a few years back. I uh, know some farmers who have had, you know, their entire crops destroyed by locusts, things like that. Wow. Pests. Oh, yeah, pests are a problem for sure. But water is our big issue here out, out in Colorado. Okay. Like not having enough water or just water in general? Making sure you have enough for sure. Yeah, we're, we're on a ditch system and there are 19 other states downstream that depend on our water. So, mm. you know, it's always a challenge. Uh, some farmers, when they luck out and they've got plenty of water, you know, they, they, they count their blessings for sure. God pray for rain out here. Uh, it's, it's interesting just because you brought up water. It just makes me want, I always like to ask you questions, Jeff, because you've got a really good national insight here on Nebraska. I mean, they have so much water. Corn doesn't make any money. Do we know what's going on with Nebraska and their hemp situation? You know, Nebraska doesn't come up a lot, uh, in, in the work that I do. It just doesn't, I don't know really what's going on out in Nebraska. Uh, specifically yeah i'm sure they have so much water if you look at the aquifer pictures they're just yeah I mean, we're going to need them down the stretch to feed this place but uh that's pretty good um i like i i'm happy to have you back here paul and we do you know we didn't mean to set up like this but we do have three farmers you know we got uh we got sage we got eddie we got anita's the cbd genie you know maybe do, do y'all want to talk to each other about some things that have been happening or what you're growing you know without sharing the secret farmer sauce you know, is there, what have you guys learned or from each other maybe in, in today? I think everybody's muted. Got the gentleman muted mm -hmm. over there. There we Let's go. Think, uh, I guess like one of the obstacles, uh, at least from my standpoint, uh, first and foremost is the uh, processing labs don't have standardized production to separate conventional crops versus organic crops and that there's no such thing as organic isolates after certain refinements. So there's again, gotta be that education there as the uh, industry begins to standardize. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know if anybody else has got anything to add to that. Um, and, and if crops are getting the organic value um, uh, with that separation, with those extra steps that organic crops uh, take uh, essentially. I have a little bit of experience with that in that Typically and historically, natural organic products can get as much as 30% greater value. Oh, okay. These days, I think, and what I experience is, you know, you're not really getting greater value, but you're getting a greater value in that you can differentiate toward quality more so when you have organic certifications and kosher certifications and things like that. CGMP you know, ISO, all of those are extremely important. Yeah. And you can typically get, you know, maybe these days five, 10% at the most as a premium, but really it's, it's the opportunity to differentiate. Especially from a national. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
I like the way that's important. Yeah. We feel like we're in a little bubble down here. We're like, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. But if we're not setting our, you know, things up for the future, yes. I mean, we won't be able to compete. I mean, we do have a good market here, so we might be able to sell to each other all day long. But, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be, be kind of be at a higher level. Um, what do you think yeah. about this so far, Paul? You know, what, what's been your perspective of, you know, things that are happening, different farmers, you've talked to different farmers you've heard today. You know, I mean, it's exciting. We're about to have this first harvest. Well, I mean, sounds like uh, compliance really is um, of the uh, most importance. And it's good to hear both from Eddie and Sage, um, the compliance mechanisms that they've um, input. And I was going to actually ask Sage, so I overheard you were talking about some like proactive measures that you were taking. Um, and if you could kind of go over those again a little bit and just if you could. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, and what, and what would you suggest also to farmers who, to other farmers who are looking to stay compliant and just... Yeah, know. well, you know, first and foremost, you we're always at the mercy of weather, um, you know, in light intensity, and you're at the mercy of when you started your seeds and when you got them in the ground. So those are the variables that will either increase or keep your THC levels below that 0.3%. And, you know, you're, you're really, uh, you know, if you're, like Anita said earlier, if you're not testing throughout and if you're not taking the steps like Eddie does to make sure that you know where your cannabinoids are going, you're, you're, you're blind and you're just really relying on somebody's genetics um, and what they told you in the significant or the certificate of analysis of where you're going to be at. So the steps that you have to take as a farmer, which are limited, but very effective um, in, you know, making sure that you stay compliant is planting in the right windows transplanting at certain times and not stressing your plants out at each stage from seedling to pre-vegetative to vegetative to pre-flowering to flowering and making sure that you're kind of babying them in a lot of the sense and then you know obviously I say babying them but positively stressing them because any stress to a plant and any kind of heat intensity or drought will cause a spike in THC. It's just a fact. It's it's a response. It's a stress response. And then, you know, obviously with the California guys and the professional cannabis growers that grow on the medical side, they've learned to manipulate that to increase that stress response when it's not stressed out. So for us to stay compliant on the, uh, the Delta nine side of things, it's just making sure you're on top of things, making sure you transplant at appropriate times, making sure you don't have too much nitrogen in soil, making sure that there is no like gaps in between watering cycles, making sure that there, if you're in an indoor setting, you have shade curtains or you're watering at the appropriate time, you're turning air over. So they don't be, they don't uh, cook essentially spiking the THC in certain uh, um, flowering stages. But on the food certification and the um, essential, like, you know, uh, it's like the, the, uh, the microbial testing, the fungal mm -hmm. testing and any heavy metal or bacterial testing, you as a farmer, it's your due diligence to make sure you're sourcing the best materials. Number one, you're treating all of the plants like you would in a food service uh, setting or a food growth setting. Uh, my experience in hydroponics and vertically growing in uh, indoor settings and greenhouse settings, you have to go in there with sanitized booties, uh, a beard net, hair net, and go in and treat it like you're getting somebody food that if it's tested, which in, in a lot of the food service, uh, you know, distribution game, they test just randomly because it's a part of their auditing process. If you get any kind of pull forms in your water, 
any kind of E. coli on your back or on the plant, you're going to get a zero. You're going to get audited. You're going to get fined. And so just going into it with, a, with uh, that kind of mentality is saying, um, I'm going to treat this like food up until the point that it's sold. And then the next person is going to have to do the same thing. That's kind of how I'm treating it. And that's kind of how I've seen Oregon and California treated it. And that goes with what kind of things that you're spraying on your plants and at what time you spray on the plants. So hey, thank you. That was a fantastic answer. Well, and that's great advice. And that's great. Really. I mean, there's just there's so much going on. What's up, CBD Genie? I was just going to say one thing that I learned um, about water, um, as far as the water that I get, it it's highly chlorinated. It's city mm -hmm. water. And that is a big no-no, right, for plants and just in general. So it's important to be able to know what you've got going on in your water, understanding the pH of your water. Um, your, your plant's going to let you know, just like the human body lets you know when something's not going well. The plants will let you know via discoloration or however it's going to show. But that was one big thing that I learned. And I'm so guilty, I'm going to say it right now, of overwatering because it was okay. so hot. And I'm thinking, oh my God, my babies, my babies. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guilty with that. So that's one thing I would put out there to let people know, just be aware of the water and don't, it's okay. They, they're weeds, right? So they'll be all right. They need that time to just fight and let the roots search for the water, right? So they get powerful and strong. <laughs> I like that's to see exactly right. I'd like to see a video about that with one of your animations. That'd be look great. Uh, I, I can't imagine how many Texas farmers have, have done that exact response. It's like, I'm hot. I drink water. Plants are hot. They need water. And just, you know, dumps yeah, 15,000 gallons into a three-acre field and just like, oh, why are they all yellow? What happened? That type of thing. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was, that was like, a learning, that was a learning stuff for me, too, right there. Has <laughs> <laughs> hey, happened to you a couple of times, Jeff? You've seen that happen? Oh, yeah, definitely. Hey, guilty as charged, for sure. <laughs> We're really in the trial by fire situation down here in Texas because it's all fun. You know, we got this southern hospitality. We love each other. At the same time, we see we're talking to people like Jeff that's seen these farms happen. We're due for some mistakes. So it's really yeah. cool that we, we make our mistakes, but we do it as strategically as possible, I guess. You know, Fail fast. That's all you have to yeah. do. We gotta yeah. It's true. It, you know, it, it's, it's really about about anticipating what's coming. You know, that's why I, I often say, begin with the end in mind. You really have to begin with your outcome and, uh, and then work kind of backwards and, and then correct course and make, you know, make the appropriate adjustments. But you kind of think things through in reverse first. And, you know, you're, we all make mistakes. Sometimes they're really costly. Hey, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention, especially for first year Texas farmers, Make sure that you have good, high-quality contracts between the parties involved in your farm. Mm -hmm. That's super, super important. I've seen more relationships, you know, sort of uh, implode because they just didn't have good documentation and, and uh, you know, alignment through contracts. So I would suggest that pay a lot of attention to that. It's super important. Uh, yeah, uh, Jeff, on that point, I mean, I've seen the same thing over and over again. Um, we've set up or been in contact and communication with various parties. Um, we're on the gamut from growers, processors, manufacturers, you name it. But yeah, having um, detailed contracts that set out everything and trying to look ahead um, rather than look backwards. I mean, it's always 
absolutely important for the parties to get aligned and make sure you go into business with the right players. And mm. I think Dalton, that that's an important point that you've always focused on. Um, just always contracting with and um, being aligned with the right people and you don't want to be involved with sketchy players. Do your vetting process and check out. I mean, <laughs> I that, think that's key. I mean, I, I'm not going to uh, speak for everybody here, but, you know, we come from an activist side. I know CBDG and I have done a lot of activisting and uh, there's a difference between the activist community and the business community. Oh, and yeah. There's a passion, like I've got activist passion, but also and so it's really important to have these contracts in place and if people don't want to have these contracts then that might be a red flag you know that might be if they don't want it if they don't see the need for that you know or they think oh why are you being like that you know it's like hey no i want to keep this business relationship strong uh so i mean it shouldn't be weird it shouldn't be weird if you and you're, if you're listening to this and you're like oh shoot me and my partners don't have contracts it's good just to talk about it so you know where you're at you know and then work with somebody to get it going. I appreciate you bringing that up, Jeff, because we see so many yeah. people that are just hyping. I'm, I'm calling myself out. I'll meet some, Hey, let's go. It's happened. It's, it's awesome. And then we don't actually know what services we're providing or what the vice versa right. is. Right. And then somebody ends up getting hurt, especially when there's a, I'm telling person. you, you know, it, there, there's literally no excuse whatsoever for not having a contract with your partners. Hmm. It's really negligent. And it's important that as an active partner, in uh, you know, in a company in a hemp farm, that it's not just talked about because you know understandings get get changed and ideas get you know they they morph they change. It's really important that you have have your contracts, especially within the farm group itself. And I and I know that you know Paul is like, yep, you tell him, brother, because it's, it's just true. I'm letting you preach. I'm, I'm letting you do the preaching. <laughs> Now, that's one of the first things I did. That's the first thing people told me is get those contracts in place with your partners, yep. too. And that's the first thing I did. So that was great advice. You got to do it. Yep. For sure. Yeah. I mean, somebody's going to help you if things go wrong. And that's why you have them. Yep. I mean, so, somebody's going to have a beautiful hemp farm. And there's going to be 10 people thinking they own it. It's going to be really confusing, you know. And we and it sucks because yeah. it's ultimately, I mean, I hate to bring it always just back to this one thing, but it's always for the patients. You know, in my mind, you know, we could have sustainable enterprise, you know, and if it's, if it's not uh, patients, you know, it's for the planet, you know, we're, we got to do these things ethically and get it going. You know, we can't let human problems stop, you know, patient and planet problems. Like that's just kind of my thought here. Uh, it's kind of selfish in general. Uh, that's crazy. You know, uh, you know, DFW is kind of coming on the map. We got two DFW people on here. I know CBD Genie's farming down, you know, Austin, we got it all over the state. What do you guys think for the Texas folks? Where I mean, I, I know in TDA has a grid of where all the farming locations are, but where do you guys see being the hemp farming hub of Texas so far? You know, like different locations. I think you're muted. Dave. I think it's probably going to end up being Austin, just based on the hill country. Um, but uh, sure. I, I definitely think that the DFW Metroplex has enough people to where you can see independent brands coming and then, you know, starting to form. If you look at what the craft beer movement did in North Texas, I think the um, hemp movement will do something similar, obviously um, with standardization, but you'll have these independent brands that go vertically integrated, creating their own products, their own standardization and uh, their own marketing teams to go out there 
go hit up all these, you know, these CBD stores, these American shamans, your CBD pluses, your independent retailers and create individual relationships. And then you'll see this, you know, this cascading domino effect that you'll, you know, you'll see Oak Cliff, you know, cultivators growing and having their own sect on the uh, um, one side of Dallas. And then you'll see Texas hemp cultivators growing their own sect on the west side of Fort Worth. And then you'll see these collaborations between them. But who knows? Because first and foremost, we've got to get standardization from legislation um, to have the ability to process and stay. Because I know that there's not a lot of processors um, moving into Texas because of this uncertainty. And so there's a lot of farmers in Texas shipping their products off to be processed and sold back to them as a brand. And, and that's, that's yeah. one of those obstacles that has to be taken care of um, or there won't be any industry growth um, to, uh, to see these hubs grow up. But if I were to guess Hill country, you know, Hill country, uh, hemp will, will have yeah. a resurgence, um, just based on, you know, Austin being as funky as it is and, uh, doing their thing and the, the population influx. And that's, that's post Corona, you know, that's BC conversation before Corona, but right now, who knows? <laughs> it was a clue. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you. Tell you at all. I would say I would say the Hill Country too. You know, Central Texas area. I think that's you know poised you know for doing all that. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. They got good fertile soil down there. Shout out, sure, yeah. I love I love San Marcos. What about uh you know in Colorado, Jeff? Where's the for, for, I mean I know there's just hemp everywhere, but is there you got Denver, you got Colorado Springs. Is there any other hemp economic? You know what's the difference between economic? Oh, definitely. No, you know Colorado's definitely a is is anomalous because. You know, we we were the first state to really grow like as we are. I mean, it's just, you know, it is everywhere. But, you know, Denver, obviously, Colorado Springs, you know, the, the urban centers, of course, mm-hmm. are super important for brand and for retail. But we've got, you know, massive, massive hemp grown way away from urban centers. I think that, you know, probably what you're going to find is 100 miles away from Austin for another 100 miles within that concentric circle is where you're probably going to see the most for sure. DFW, I mean, that that's all about micro retail, taking your brand to market. I mean, it, there are so many, you know, suburbs and all those very huge, like huge communities outside Dallas, Fort Worth. And that's, it's micro retail all day. I think that the state of Texas, look, let's face it. The state of Texas is its own economy. When you compare Texas to the rest of the country, I mean, it's its own country. It's what, like the eighth largest country yeah. globally? I mean, that's Texas, you know? Yeah. Texas is, you know, and CBD Genie said it, Texas is a game changer completely. And I see massive micro retail, tons of brands, and I see, you know, farming way out from the urban centers as being way more important ultimately because that's where you have the, the farmland. That's where you've got your, you know, your opportunities for fiber crops and other crop conversions and stuff like that. So that's that's, cool. that's my view on it. That's cool. No, that makes sense. Because of how big Texas is with the climate differences that we have. I mean, the way we get down in central Texas versus down in the valley versus up north and further north, Lubbock, Amarillo area, once they really start get going. I mean Definitely. different. It's we so really different. yeah. We hit all the climate patterns. Yeah. Yeah, we really yeah, do. Up there. Up there, Lubbock, Amarillo, that's closer to New Mexico microclimate, right? Like that seems to be, you know. And it snows. I mean, because I went to Texas Tech up there and it snows, not where it melts in the, you know, yeah. at noon. It snows up there. 
And then it's got <laughs> sandstorms. I mean, it's just a whole yeah. of, like craziness up there. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. You got that tornado alley action going up there. It gets crazy. The hail. I mean, the hail is, yeah. is, the, is one of the biggest problems up there. But how many, how many grow zones does Texas have? I know Colorado, you know, we have a lot of grow zones. I think it's six or seven. 13? I can't remember. Yeah, I think it's 13. I know I'm zone 13. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I might be lying to you, but I think I saw a chart that has 13 regions on it. On I mean, yeah. but I mean... I mean that's crazy. Have... I, I mean, just think about the company that can, that can emerge out of Texas that's growing in various grow zones within Texas. You, I mean, you just get... You have opportunities to have completely different outcomes with every single grow zone. It's pretty wow. amazing. So well, yeah. and then, in hemp in Texas right now. Yeah, and then the soil differences in Texas are so diverse. Sure. Even in like central, like in my zone, uh, my zone 8A, the uh, soil differences are, you know, Frio to clay loam. And those yeah. are significantly, um, they're significant because of uh, hemp's feet don't like to be wet. And I, when I say feet, I mean roots. They don't like to be wet. And clay retains so much moisture over time. Uh, those are challenges within themselves, but, you know, as you guys talked about earlier, the integration of cotton switching over in that industry, that giant machine starting to turn its cogs towards something else, potentially, if there's, you know, uh, contracts in place, infrastructure for processing place, that's where uh, West Texas going towards New Mexico is cotton land. And so if that would be probably, if it goes industrial, that'll be the starting point. Um for sure. You know, here's yeah. something that, that our, our team, you know, occasionally will, will say, and it's that replacement means displacement. Mm. So, you know, what we mean by that is that when, when we're looking at industrial categories that are like the most vibrant, like that have the, the highest index for hemp replacement, for instance, you know, you have to look at things like what's the capital investment in infrastructure in those industries. So like paper and plastics, I mean, all the billions and billions of dollars that have been invested before, you're kind of, you're displacing all of that when you replace what they do with hemp. So it's, that's always a challenge. You know, the reason we talk about it is because we're obviously always thinking about risk and where we should be investing our time and how we're guiding clients for certain outcomes in certain regions so that we can sell their hemp materials or, you know, their CBD products or whatever it might be. It was, I, I was still thinking at this point when you were talking about different zones, what the out, what the outputs or outcomes could be, you know, instead of a multi-state operator, we're talking about multi-zone operator. It's kind of funny. Right. That. It, well, it's micro, right. It's micro retail. And, you know, any, and when you're thinking about sustainability and sustainable enterprise and stuff like that, it's really, it's how can you do the business locally, at least within your state. And, and I'm somebody who does business in all states, you know, but so it's kind of, you know, in some ways I limit my own opportunities, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, you guys have to look out for doing local business in Texas first. Well, handle that first because we've got, I mean, huh, yeah, we've got to handle our, you know, the whole quota, you got to clean your front yard before you go clean somebody else's. Uh, we've really got to understand what's going on here. I mean, it's just exciting times uh, for everybody. We've got about 10 minutes here. You know, I wanted to kind of go around the horn and everybody say a, a few final last words, uh, just kind of, you know, how to get a hold of you, you know, what, what you're thinking of and just, 
you know, maybe some good energy, some good vibes out here. Maybe we could start with, uh, maybe we could start with uh, you, Eddie. Uh, good energy, good vibes. I mean, I guess, you know, I, like I mentioned before, you know, fostering those relationships, you know, don't, don't beat people down. They don't know something, you know, like for me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rookie in this room. So I'm going to ask you the dumb questions, you know, answer, help them out. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to pay it forward, you know, pay it back to for those, for the people who helped me out. I'm going to pay it back to somebody else. So let's all kind of embrace that, you know, let's teach, let's teach people how to do it right. If someone's not doing it wrong, don't beat them down. Just show them, Hey man, dude, this, maybe you should try it this way. There's some alternatives. I think we should all embrace, you know, helping each other out during this process that we st- as Sage always says, standardize the way we do things here in, in the state of Texas. That's cool. And if y'all want, if y'all want to reach me, man, y'all got my, uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and, uh, I'm at, you could give me a info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Yeah, man, that's exciting. I know I, I follow you on Facebook. I always love seeing what y'all are talking about. Great content. Seriously. You know, we're not yeah, just, thanks, man. You get drones out there at a hemp farm. I'll be sitting there watching that. You know, I turned off sports center for that the other day. Um, I'm watching you. I'm watching you too, man. Watch out. No. Yeah, we'll swing it over to uh, we'll swing it over to CBD Genie. You know, not only do we love saying CBD Genie, but you're an asset to the community. This next legislate, you know, the people that are just starting that haven't been through a cannabis hemp legislative session. You're really about to see certain other people come to the fold, or what's important news and what's not. So I know your time's coming to shine here, especially being in Austin and everything. But you know, maybe some final last words from you, or what? You know, some good vibes from the CBD Genie. Well, when it comes to the political aspect, I always uh, refer to Texas Normal. Uh, Jack Finkel has been doing that. Heather Fazio, they've been they've been doing those moves for years, and I, you know, I, I like to guide everyone to those two magnificent queens because when it comes to the policy, they just got it on lock. So they do best work. I mean, seriously, I I got to interrupt just real quick because while we were watching that YouTube video, Paul was on uh, the the judge hearing. Like Heather had already uh, banged out an, an, uh, uh, a newsletter that explained. I mean, I watched most of it. I didn't under. I, mean, I was watching it. I didn't fully understand it. I got a newsletter simultaneously from them. So th- those are great groups to pay attention to. Sorry, I just wanted to put that in there. For sure. When it comes to policy, those two women, those two queens, have definitely been leading with that. So I advise those to look out to those uh, organizations. This is normal, and out to Heather Foster as well. Um, but just staying safe out there right now during this time. I mean, it's real uncertain times. Um, I've already reached out to Eddie and Sage. I'm like, but the thing to do is to help each other. When you help each other, you grow. And it's a win-win no matter what. You need a helping hand for a farmer and you learn something. So it's always a win-win. And so I'm already excited about visiting their farms and giving them a hand and... Okay. That's the, that's the best thing I can say. Show up and during this session, speak your mind and stand up for what you believe in. I mean, I'm ready for uh, I'm ready for the uh, for the hemp party at your farm once uh, the Corona. Yeah. Goes. That's yeah. And also, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, the best way is on Instagram at cbd.genie. We go the Texas CBD genie out here. We'll be looking forward to more videos and stuff as well. Hey guys, I just want to chime in. I'm going to have to bail on this at okay. this point, but thank you so much. I really appreciate everything. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Jeff, we appreciate your time and, uh, you know, just uh, national insight. We'll talk to you soon. Thank we appreciate you very it. much. All right. Peace, thank guys. Bye. Bye. Always love talking about national perspectives. You know, I get 
I personally, I can say I get in my DFW bubble, then it's a Texas bubble. Then we're trying to take Oklahoma bubble, but talking to people that actually have national insight, um, you know, maybe Greg, maybe Greg and Bo could chime back in here. If you guys are still with us uh, to wrap this up strong to see if there's any more questions, but uh, maybe you could finish us up strong as well. Sage, how can people get a hold of you? You know, yeah. what, what's some good things? Sure. Yeah. So I guess just as like a, a final word from my perspective is, you know, you, you get what you, you get out, what you put in. And so uh, any first time farmers, you know, do your due diligence, ask questions, lead with the why, and then work yourself backwards to uh, the final product. Just like Jeff said, that's kind of the right mentality. And then always be preventative. You, you know, before you get into it, start on a small scale and then scale it, you know, um, with uh, different amounts. So do it in multiples. Um, the other idea is, you know, ask questions. Uh, Eddie says it, said it best, ask dumb questions because you're smarter because of it. And don't be the smartest person in the room because you're not going to be, uh, you know, moving forward if that's the case in any way, shape or form. But, but, you know, first and foremost, you only get what you put into it. And that comes with any agricultural, uh, you know, uh, start or anything that you really do in life. So, you know, put the work in and, you know, especially in you know, farming and Eddie probably could speak on this. It's not a nine to five. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a four to four to whenever you're done type of thing, especially with this crop. All day. Yeah, all day. It's all day. And then like when you're not doing it, you're thinking about it. So there's <laughs> no break at all. And uh, it's just a matter of, you know, it's OK. It's going to be hard, but put the work in and uh, go from that point and then make sure you do cut away time for yourself. To, to get a different perspective, you know, read a book, you know, watch something else. Do not get associated yourself 24 seven with this plan or it'll beat you down. I can tell you that. Uh, but yeah, you can get a hold of me and uh, my company at texashempcultivators.com or you can reach out to me directly. Um, info at texashempcultivators.com. And, you know, I try to keep up with the social media. It's, it's a lot of time consuming stuff with all the other balls I'm juggling, but I try to post good content, try to show my plants and show what we're doing at the farm and uh, in the greenhouse. So I always, I always like your Instagram stories of you riding on the tractor. I'm pro those. I oh, think yeah. Yeah. Anybody that has a tractor that has a hemp farm should be uh, documenting themselves riding around that all Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's cover cropping. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's one of those steps. Like, again, if you're going into first time farming, You've got to put the work into the soil before you even think about doing hemp or, or you're going to be, you know, SOL right before you start. And, you know, it, it's, it's cover cropping. It's farming is a 24 hour, 365 experience. Just buckle up and get into it. Yeah, we've, had, we've had some good one liners today. I love how Eddie said dumb questions up front. Like that's, I'm going to start saying that because it's nobody, there's no such thing as a dumb question here, especially in a new oh. industry like this. I mean, we could spend Google hours and people still don't know. I mean, we have regulatory agencies that are still figuring it out. So there's really no such thing as a dumb question here. One, one good, one last question for you, uh, Sage. Talking about the certified organic hemp farms, is there a list of people that are, or is that is there? Yeah. Anybody so great, great question. So think about it in this perspective: the USDA doesn't directly certify anybody. What they do and what they're underwriting is they use third parties to do that for them and then report back to the actual governing body. So the standard isn't that, you know, a lot of people can say they're organic without any kind of repercussions. It's kind of shame on them for doing that. Um, but the idea is you go to these third parties and you spread the word what certified organic means and then that actually starts the conversation. So there are lists 
me, I'm proclaiming my CCOF certification out of California. If you go to their database, you will see Sage Howell and you'll see Texas Hemp Cultivators as a certified organic grower. Um, I believe it runs all the way to the USDA, but that's so much information. We know how government works. Yeah. Barely. uh, The idea is um, you just need to, as uh, if you're into organic or if organics interesting you as a product or as a producer, do your research, ask the right questions and understand what you're trying to ask. And I guess the, the lump sum is organic is falling under the guise and the actual legal definition of USDA standard organic practices to make an organic crop and or a product while conventional is every other way, which, you know, we can get into the debate what's right and what's wrong, but it's just a difference right now. And uh, you can go to certain databases. And unfortunately, the state of Texas doesn't have a um, third party organic certifier yet. That's why I had to go to the state of California, fly somebody in and do my certification. It's kind of interesting in that perspective. Well, I could talk all day about, you know, all the qualms and problems and issues I have with that, but but there's opportunity to create an organic certifying company in Texas, and there's opportunity to do it um, in cannabis and in hemp as this industry is blossoming. And that's a little side story we'll talk about later, yeah. but that's not the point. That's no, not we're going to have to bring you back because as the laws <laughs> different infrastructure will be multi-purpose and it'll be the more of the, I think more of the organic push and things like that will come to the forefront you know once we get it figured out then the differentiators will start right now we just need seed in the ground and make it happen but later exactly exactly i'm I'm being the um i i say the bougie side of it but what i see is is what california has done and not to strip the land but rather continue regenerative and sustainable practices is through organics it's it is through taking resources from the area around you like i partnered with a dairy farm in comanche texas got 60 tons of cow manure that I composted on site to create living soil for three acres and in the greenhouse instead of, you know, relying on, um, you know, a bunch of people to ship it in and then the fossil fuels for all that. That's what's going to move this industry. And that's what's going to keep costs low to be able to increase the profit margins for farmers and to create a high quality product that, that keeps your, your land from turning into a, uh, a super fun site that needs remediation uh, by another party. And so, yeah. We got to touch, we're going to have to circle back on that. Page. <laughs> sure, to, yeah. It has to do with the circular economy. I mean, all the hemp industry is really big into this. So we need to understand it, how to go. But we appreciate you guys coming on. Paul, we're going to wrap it up with you. How can people get a hold of you without, you know, paying you a uh, hell of hours? Where, where can we hang out with you? Uh, where, you know, what, what, what are you thinking on the good energy vibes heading out? You obviously... It's kind of like you're a, a warrior going to war for this lawsuit. So, you know, Godspeed to you. I know you'll be really busy, but, you know, just kind of some final thoughts here. Thank you. Yeah, um, I think uh, when Jeff uh, brought it up initially and just to rehash that is the importance of contracts um, mm-hmm. for farmers and whoever is in this industry, really do your due, due diligence and uh, vet whoever you're going into business with. Right. make sure you have sound contracts um but yeah i want i hope everyone stays tuned um for this lawsuit um because things are things are really getting underway as we've as we've seen so um our next hearing is september 2nd and that'll be figuring out when our um temporary injunction hearing will be and uh look i mean we're it's going to be a long process but we're doing it for Texas hemp farmers, Texas businesses, and we're trying to keep this thing going. Yeah. 
Boost Texas economy and good luck. Good uh, luck. Bands. Wow. Got to. That's what. You can reach me at uh, ritterspencer.com um, or on my email, pstevenson at ritterspencer.com, LinkedIn, um, or you can tune into our future episodes of uh, Hemp and A and Easy, our podcast. There we go. Man, we really appreciate your time, Paul. We'll have to talk offline. Uh, September 2nd is going to be a big day. I appreciate all the guests here, everybody's time. Let's get back to farming. Hemp and A and Easy, right, Paul? All right. Yes. No, <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Dalton. Appreciate it. Always crush MC and man. Yes, sir. Appreciate the farm labs. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, y'all.